pray for us. Father, I ask, Lord, that you would help us to, to see and help us to understand your word. Lord, would you help us to meet Jesus, help us to get to know him, help us to understand how that knowledge impacts and transforms our lives. Lord, would you help us as we go into your word in Jesus' name, amen. This past uh, Christmas, uh, my wife and I uh, baked some cookies. Uh, Actually, I just watched Stephanie bake the cookies. But I had a very important job, and that was quality assurance. I was forced to try multiple varieties of cookies for the sake of others who would have those cookies. Um, Stephanie thought it'd be a great idea to uh, go out into the neighborhood and deliver uh, plates of cookies to some of our neighbors. And it was nighttime when we decided to do this, and we went to a couple of houses, and uh, one person wasn't there, one person was. And and uh, we we're going to go a few houses down. I, it didn't look like anyone was home, but she, Stephanie said, no, I think I saw someone someone move or, or some light or something like that. So we went down, and it's this old guy. He lives by himself. He's got a dog. And uh, we knocked on his door, and uh, sure enough, we saw like a light turn on, and he came out. And uh, Stephanie and I were just smiling. We thought, oh, surely he would just love like a plate of cookies. You know, it's just him and his dog. And, and he comes out, and, uh, and he smiles too. He's like, and he said, here, here's some cookies. Uh, Merry Christmas. And and he says, oh, that's so nice of you, but I, I can't eat the cookies. And we're like, what? what you, you, don't, you don't like cookies? <laughs> Who doesn't like cookies? And it's like, no, no I, not that I don't like cookies. I, I can't eat them. And we're like wondering, it's like, I can't, I can't eat anything. And we're just like, really? And he said, no, I, I had throat cancer. And when they did surgery, I could no longer swallow I literally can't eat any food. And I just remember all of a sudden like feeling bad because we're bringing like a plate of temptation like before him and he can't eat them. And I just remember thinking, we had a good conversation. It was, it was actually fine. But I just remember thinking in that moment and thinking afterwards, wow, that would be terrible if I couldn't eat in life, if I couldn't have food. And, and, and I love food. I, uh, steak and lobster, and bread, and steak, and I said that already. Uh, so I, I love food, and I was just thinking, the question that came to me was, is there life outside of food? Is, is life worth living without food? That's the question that I asked myself, and, and we're, kind of, we're kind of at a passage which starts to look at that question. Here in this passage, the the crowds were excited about Jesus. Now, remember what happened just last week. We read about Jesus feeding 5,000 people, 5,000 men with women and children, probably 20,000 people. Jesus fed them miraculously. And these crowds were excited about Jesus, but they were excited because of the food. They were excited because of the food. They were excited by what they would be able to get from Jesus. But Jesus is going to say that this bread is actually worthless compared to something that Jesus calls the bread of life. The bread of life. And Jesus is going to say that the bread of life is himself. 
And moreover, he's going to say, you need to eat him. You need to eat Jesus. And that's the title of the sermon this morning. Eat Jesus. And it's probably something that sounds weird to us. And it certainly sounded weird to them. What does it mean to eat Jesus? What does it mean to partake of the bread of life? And and before I answer that question, there's three points that I want to make about the bread of life. The bread of life, number one, the bread of life is something to be desired. The bread of life is something to be seen. And the bread of life is something to be consumed. Those are the three points that we're going to hit. Point number one, the bread of life is something to be desired. Let me reread just a few verses here, starting in 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Uh, All the crowds are still interested in following Jesus. And so what happens is they didn't see Jesus get in the boat. Remember, if we, from last week, Uh, the disciples left in the boat first and Jesus met him like halfway by walking on water. So he miraculously went. But the crowds didn't see that. So when they get up in the morning, number one, they're still there, right? And they get up and they're like, wait, where's Jesus? He's supposed to be here. He's not here. And so they go, thousands of people on these boats over to the other side of the sea to seek Jesus. And so Jesus' ministry now is, is really blowing up. Like there's thousands of people following him. And so he's gone from well-known to like a bona fide star and celebrity, so much so that people are willing to go to any length to follow him. He's got all these people, all these crowds, throngs of people following him. And the question we have to ask is why? Why are these people following Jesus? And Jesus is not ignorant as to the real reason why most of the crowd is following Jesus. He says it plainly in verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, the crowds were not really following Jesus because they were interested in Jesus. They were interested in bread. Very, something very tangible. I grabbed this from the freezer. I don't... I don't know if it's good or not, but I thought it'd be an illustration. Physical bread. And so often we're preoccupied in terms of what we desire by what we can touch, what we can smell, what we can taste, what we can hold. And and it's interesting, Jesus is not like fooled by this crowd. He's not like, oh, they all love me. Oh, they want to be with me. He sees right through and he says, you're happy and you're following me. You're around because you just want this. That's why you're here. That's what he says to them. Now, if, if we want, if the Harambe Church wants a guaranteed growth strategy, we know Jesus shows us the model. All we have to do is just 
select maybe five or ten random chairs and put a hundred dollar bill underneath those chairs every Sunday. And I guarantee that, no, there's no, there's no hundred dollar bill. Sorry, Matt. You don't, you don't need to check. Uh, and word would get out and every seat would be filled and very few people would actually care about Jesus. It's guaranteed growth because it appeals to what we want. It's what we can feel, it's what we can taste, it's what we can hold, and that has a lot of appeal. But Jesus is not interested in this kind of bread. He's wanting to point them to something else. Is it wrong to desire money? Is it wrong to desire food? No, those are actually good things. And Jesus elsewhere says, I know that you need these things. But the point is, if we follow Jesus, Jesus says, I'll give you all those things, but the point is himself, and that's what he's going to show us. Life doesn't ultimately depend on this. Life ultimately depends on Jesus. Jesus puts it this way, verse 49. He says, your father's ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. So all physical bread, all tangible bread, this bread, whether it's the bread you can go buy in the store, or whether it's the bread that comes down from heaven, or whether it's the bread that's multiplied from five loaves, all of it, you'll eat it and you'll die. It's the bread of death, basically. And so the donut that you ate this morning is the donut of death. The muffin that you ate this morning is the muffin of murder. Stephanie's sad. I'm sorry. It's true, though. It's biblical. Jesus is saying, even if it was provided miraculously, their fathers had bread directly from the Father... In heaven, they ate it and they all died. That's the point that Jesus is making is that as good as the bread and food that you have in this life, it will not lead to life everlasting. You will die. Some sense the the gluten police are actually right. Bread will kill us. (laughs) But so will all other food. That's why Jesus says in verse 27... Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. In other words, so often all of our efforts, like we spend so much effort and so much money, and we spend so much time thinking about how do we get our bread. And he's saying you're you're seeking after something that perishes, and you'll perish with it. But there is a better bread. There is a bread that actually endures to eternal life. And if you eat that, you will endure to eternal life as well. He's trying to get them to look beyond just what they can see and feel and taste and touch to something better, something grander, something deeper, something lasting. The bread of life. That's what Jesus calls it. The bread of life. And he's saying that this is the bread that you should truly desire. And he's piqued the crowd's interest because after he says this, the crowd responds in verse 34. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. So he's got them. 
right? Maybe. We'll see. Give us this bread always. The people caught a glimpse of the possibility of a better food, a better kind of nourishment. Have you ever felt like you wanted better food? Have you, have, not just literally, have you ever fought, felt like you're hungering for something and no matter what you feed yourself, it, it doesn't last? Like I think the, the stereotypical Chinese restaurant syndrome. You're, you go and you have your Kung Pao chicken and your General Tso's and it tastes so good, but then an hour later you're still left wanting. And it's kind of a metaphor for life. We go after these things. We go after these, whatever it is, these things that we think will satisfy, that we think will like, give us ultimate satisfaction, and they don't, and we're left wanting more. And Jesus is saying, if that's you, there's something better, and it's the bread of life. But the bread of life needs to go beyond desire to something that we can actually see. We have to know what the bread of life is. And that brings us to our second point. The bread of life is something to be seen. The bread of life is something to be seen. I don't know if you've ever been at a, uh, say, a retail establishment. And, and you maybe you see a product and it's, uh, you think it's on sale, but you go up to the cash register and they're ringing you up for full price or, you know, there's some discrepancy and you're trying to get across to the cashier that, no, no, no it needs to be this way and they're fighting back with you and you're just, at a certain point, you're just like, you know, I want to talk to the manager. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. I just want to speak with the manager because this is not going anywhere. I have a desire. It's not being met. I want to see the manager, and then the person in front of you says, well, I am the manager. <laughs> like, has that ever happened to you? Like, it's kind of frustrating, right? Like, oh, I'm not going to get what I want. And there's a little bit of that situation happening here. They're, they're, they're stirred up. There's a desire to sing, give us this bread always. Yes, we want it. Give us this bread. And Jesus says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Not sure that's the answer they were looking for. Not sure that's the answer they were looking for. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus identifies him as the bread of life that can be seen. They didn't know he w- they were talking to the bread of life. And Jesus says he is in a tangible way. We can see Jesus and know that Jesus is the bread of life of life in the person of who he is and yet we see the bread of life and we don't believe we can see the bread of life and still not believe jesus says in verse 36 but i said to you that you all have seen me and yet do not believe people see the bread of life but don't believe he's the bread of life and they and the question is why not Why doesn't everyone who sees Jesus automatically believe and understand that Jesus is the bread of life? Jesus tells us why that's the case. Verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Skip a few verses to verse 44. Jesus says, no one can come to me unless 
The Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that um, belief or sight um, doesn't start with you or me. It starts with God. That's what Jesus is saying. No one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. So to, to be able to understand, to be able to understand Jesus as who he says he is, the Father does something first. And for those of you who are theologically inclined or care about these things, that's called Reformed theology. This is like, like a, a baby sort of version of it. The idea is that salvation doesn't just end with God, it starts with God, including the ability to see, including faith itself. That's what Jesus is saying. You don't believe that I'm the bread of the life because you're not looking to the Father. The Father has not drawn you. And the reason they struggle to believe is because they believe, they're believing that salvation starts with them. That's the heart of the issue here. And, and Jesus, uh, it's underscored in their response earlier when we look at verse 28. When Jesus said, don't labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, the Son of Man will give you this food. They respond by saying this, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And so that, that question has a built-in assumption that, that says this, in order for me to be a good person, in order for me to be accepted, in order for me to have salvation, the assumption is that there's something I must do, right? What works must I do? What commandments? Tell me, Jesus, is it, do I need to tithe more? Do I need to come to church more? Do I need to do more good works? Tell us, Jesus, what must we do? And Jesus' response is amazing and freeing. He responds in verse 29. He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. Period. That's the work of God. It's not, he didn't, Jesus didn't take this opportunity to rehearse the Ten Commandments. Jesus didn't take this opportunity to list the 600-some-odd laws that they were supposed to follow and the additional laws upon the laws that they created themselves. He says this one thing, this is the work of God. Believe on him and whom he sent. That's the work of God. And so what Jesus is trying to do is show us that it's not about what you do to gain God. It's about what God has done to gain you. That's the point. That's the good news. The gospel is not about what you can do for God, but about, but about what God has done for you. And our response is just one thing. Believe it. Receive it. And the it is a person. And that person is Jesus. That's what he's saying. You're, you're coming about this all wrong. Seeing the bread of life, you don't have to work for it. You just receive him. Receive Jesus. Which means our orientation must change from down and in to up 
and out. If salvation starts with the Father, then whenever we're in a place where we can't see rightly, where we have trouble believing, our response shouldn't be, well, let me try harder. Well, let me do better. Our response should be, Lord, help me. Father, help me. Open my eyes to see clearly where I cannot see clearly. Like that's, it's a posture of saying, you know what? I can do nothing of myself. Jesus later says, the flesh is of no help at all. Seek the Father. Seek his help. Your eyes won't show you. Your logic won't tell you. Finding God is not a puzzle that you solve and then find God. John, Pastor John and I were, were talking with this woman a, a couple of weeks ago. And she was, say, she was telling us, there, there's some things I like about Jesus. And, and I see him as, as attractive. But there's some things I don't like about Jesus. And I can't get my mind around those things. I look at the Bible. She said specifically, there's two things, there's two passages in the Bible that I hate. She said that to us. And she says, I can't wrap my mind around. I can't bring myself to believing. And she struggled for the past 10 years. 10 years trying to figure this out. And she was like, can you help me figure this out? And she started asking about the doctrine of hell and whatnot. And, and we tried to, uh, Pastor John mostly tried to graciously direct her around those, those things that were basically uh, 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 walls that she was trying to put up. Smokescreen. The issue was... She believed that finding God was about herself. She believed that finding God was about what she could do to solve the puzzle, to finally get it to make sense in her head. And and the answer is it's the Father who starts it. And so our posture should be one of Lord help, Father help. And, 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 And that's what I want to pray for us today. Some of us struggle with faith, struggle with doubt, struggle with, with understanding things of God and things of, of, of divine nature. And, and the answer is not to just try to figure it out. The answer is to, to, to bend down our knees in prayer and seek God because he's the one who actually opens our heart to see him more clearly and meet us where we need it. The bread of life can't simply be desired. It can't simply be seen but it must also be consumed. That brings us to our third point. The bread of life is something to be consumed. The bread of life is something to be consumed. Now, if, you're, if you are hungry, physically hungry, that produces a desire to do something about it. So, let's say you go to the store, okay? And you think, sandwich would sound really great. So you go into the bread aisle, and you say, oh, great, there's Dave's killer bread. Perfect. That'll go good with my sandwich. And you believe it's bread, right? You see it, and you believe it, and you grab it, you pay for it, you take it home. What's the next step? Make a sandwich, and what's the next step? You eat it. Right? It's the natural progression. Like, if you took it home and you sat it on the coffee table and looked at it until it molded, like, it, w- it wouldn't make any sense, right? That'd be foolish. And so the point of what Jesus is saying and, wh- and what, 
what, honestly, they're going to really struggle with this idea. You can desire the bread of life. You can see the bread of life before your eyes. And then some people struggle with eating the bread of life. Question is why? Let's get into it. We understand that the natural progression is to eat it, but we struggle with eating the bread of life when it comes to the spiritual aspect of it. First of all, Jesus does tell us to eat them. Verse 51. Jesus says this, um, the Jews, oh, right, 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is saying, eat me. And as odd as that sounds to us, it sounds weird to eat someone, right? It's exactly how odd it sounded to them, which is why they respond in verse 52. The the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So it's a good question. How can Jesus do that? How would we respond? How would we respond if Jesus was here and said, eat my flesh? Now, after they respond to him and said, this doesn't make sense, how can you give us flesh to eat? You might think, if you didn't read on, you might think, okay, Jesus is going to pull that metaphor back, right? They're not understanding it. I'm going to walk that back and I'm going I'm to explain it to you. But he doesn't. He actually doubles down and makes it weirder. Verse 53. Verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true food drink. So not only do you need to eat Jesus, you need to drink his blood as well. That's strange. And and this is going to highlight the major struggle with those who claim to follow Jesus. Jesus is bringing up ideas that sound cannibalistic, right? They, They would be offensive to anyone who heard that, especially Jews who were trying to follow the law. Right? You, you, if you were trying to follow the law, you certainly would not eat human flesh. That would be like step one, 101 in following the law. Don't eat human flesh. So it's just like immediately offensive to them. Like they can't get past that. And they respond in verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? What Jesus is saying is so hard for them to hear, they, they, they can't even bear to have those words come across their ears. It's almost like they would sometimes stop up their ears and say, I cannot hear it. I cannot receive that. And in the midst of their response, Jesus responds once more in verse 61. 
But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Now Jesus is starting to explain it in more spiritual terms. Basically, you don't get what I'm saying. The words that I'm saying to you are spirit and life. The flesh is no help at all. Jesus is going back to the problem that they have, that they're trying to find salvation with their flesh. And so it's almost like they have this lens on, they see the world through law. And because they see the world through law, they see Jesus as asking them to break the law. Like, we can't eat flesh, that's wrong. And they can't see what Jesus is actually saying. Jesus is not asking them to break the law. He's asking them to understand that the law can't save them. And that's a big difference. Jesus is saying, you cannot, the flesh is no help at all. So when, the law, when you have the law and it, it says you should do these things and you can't do them, that should tell you that the law is not saving you and that you need help outside of the law to save you. When Jesus talks about flesh and blood, he's pointing to what can save us, namely his death. Jesus came not to be their king. Jesus came not to just give them buffet after buffet. Jesus came to die. And so when he says, my flesh is true food, my blood is true food, what he's doing, he's pointing to his sacrifice. His sacrifice to pay for our sins, to pay for our inability to keep the law. And most of us has probably had this experience where we know what the right thing to do is. But our ability to, to follow that out doesn't match. Right? We, it's, it's not a, following the law, reality, or morality is not a, a lack of knowledge. It's not like, for most part, we understand what the right things to do are and what the wrong things to do are. And, and yet, even knowing the right things to do, we don't always do the right things. And, and fitness gyms count on this, by the way. Every New Year's, They count on people knowing the right thing to do, which is to take care of their health and to exercise. And so they buy memberships, but they count on them not being able to follow through. So they they purchase these memberships, but they don't fully utilize them, and gyms count on it because if everyone used their membership as much as they could, the gyms wouldn't contain the amount of people who purchase memberships. They understand human nature. They understand that a certain percentage of people who buy those passes aren't going to be able to follow through. And it's an experience that's common to human nature. It doesn't just apply to gym memberships. It applies to every facet of life. We know there's things we ought to do, and for whatever reason, we fail to do it. And that gap, 
between what we know we ought and what we're able to do is the bridge that Jesus crosses and fills for us. He basically says, your flesh can't get you from point A to point Z. Your flesh can't cross that, can't close that gap. But Jesus can. And that's what Jesus is saying, is my death is meant to close that gap by paying for your inability to keep the law. And so Jesus kept the law perfectly. And that when we die with Jesus... Our sins are paid for, and we have hope of rising with Jesus. Jesus repeats this phrase throughout, in the last day I will raise you up. That's the hope that we have. And Jesus is saying, to eat me is to die with Jesus. It's saying, I believe Jesus, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to die with Jesus, so that I will be lifted up on the last day with Jesus in victory We can't do it in our own flesh, but we can do it through Jesus who did it for us. That's the point of what he's making. It's God who starts salvation. It's God who ends salvation. God starts it through faith. He he purchases it through, through his blood, and he finishes it through the resurrection of Jesus. So he explains some of this to them. And the interesting thing is some people still don't believe. And it's kind of a sad, it kind of ends on a little bit of a down note with just a glimmer of hope that, that I want to help you to see. It's a passage, it's a part of this passage that's been very meaningful to me. So what's the response? In verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. It's interesting. Uh, John is calling these people disciples. Apparently, there's a bunch of people, a lot of the crowds who, who would have considered themselves followers of Jesus. And yet they hear Jesus saying, eat me, and they can't get past that. It's too hard for them to understand. And so they're, they're out. They jet. They're done. And, and it's, it's sort of this, this situation where the, the, the air has, has left the room. The momentum has has. has shifted against them. And Jesus, in that moment, he turns to his own disciples in verse 70, 67. Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy one of God. Many times in my life, I felt like Peter. I felt like, have you ever, have you ever run in a headwind before? If you've run in a tailwind, that's great, right? You feel like, oh, I'm really fast today. But when that headwind comes, all of a sudden, everything is harder. Like every exertion is magnified. And sometimes life has, ta- uh, has headwinds. And right now, his disciples and Jesus, these are apparent headwinds. Their ministry doesn't look like it's succeeding at this point. Like they're losing people, not gaining people. And in the midst of that, the question is, where shall we go? Where, where else is there to go? And, and I've asked this question at, at really important times in my life where I felt like things are hard. I'm struggling. I'm even doubting my faith. And, and to read a scripture like this is, is actually encouraging to me. Because when I think of where else to go, 
Like I realize the, the emptiness that exists. I've, I've experienced the emptiness of pursuing lust. I've experienced the emptiness of, and the vanity of pursuing possession and material things. I've experienced the, the bankruptcy of, of trying to be a better person to, to feel better about myself. And I've experienced the emptiness of all these other things. So I know there's not life there. And, and it's interesting, when Peter says that, he's saying, I've considered these other things. It's like, I, I've thought about some other things, but they don't produce life. And we have come to believe that you, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. And I have come to believe that Jesus has the words of eternal life. There's no other place to go. And even in the midst of headwinds, and even in the midst of storms, Jesus is there. His words ring with hope. He says, it may look dark right now. It may be painful right now. You might be struggling right now in very serious ways. But on the last day, I will raise you up. But I have to go through death to get there. And that becomes sort of a picture of what life is sometimes. Sometimes we have to go through the valley of shadow of death. Sometimes we have to do, go through the headwinds. But Jesus promises with his words our eternal life. And if you follow him, if you follow Jesus into his death, he promises that he will lift us up on the last day. And that's the hope I want to leave you with, that scripture. The question is, do we believe it? Will we eat Jesus in that way? Will we consume his words? Will we hold on to those words to give us hope when things don't always look great? I will, and I hope and pray that we will as a church. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you. For your word. We thank you, Lord, for your Son, who is the bread of life. Lord, you've given us the desire. Lord, you've shown us the bread of life, and you invite us to consume you. Lord, I pray that we would hold on to your words of eternal life in the midst of life struggles, in the midst of the headwinds, in the midst of the storms of life. Father, would you cause us to get on our knees when we face doubts, when we face struggles? Lord, would you meet us where we're at? Would you encourage us, Father, that, that you give life and that we don't have to earn it, we don't have to work harder for it, that we just need to receive you and have the confidence that we have eternal life with you. As we look towards Easter, help us to meditate on the resurrection power that exists in your son. You say on the last day, you will raise us up. And we believe that because you rose from the dead. Lord, would you grip us with your word? Would you grip us with your truth and help us wherever we are in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We uh, also at this time...
uh, communion. We celebrate communion, which is basically 